Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you very much. Um, I was just saying, I, I'm not used to preaching in English anymore. I preach in Spanish purely now, which is, a, it's, I've been, after three years, I should be preaching in Spanish, but it's been something that actually happened this year. I began to preach purely in Spanish and teach in Spanish, and for preachers out there, teachers, it's hard enough to do this in your own language. Think about trying to hear God and also speak in another language, but um, the Lord's given me grace to do it, and my, there were, people say that it's okay, so I'm hoping that it's, it, they're learning something from it. Um, <laughs> But if you're trying to learn a foreign language, the best way to do it is just to do it. You've got to just take steps because the people feel honored when you go and you try to learn their language. Even if you mess it up, they feel very honored when you try, even when you stumble, because you're for the law firm in Atlanta. Them. So that's, I'm going to do this in English. Um, my old, the partner I worked for at the law firm in Atlanta used to tell me that I would, slow down, Michael. Slow down when you're in court. Slow down. Because my mind starts going, and I'm thinking of all these things, and I start to speak fast. So I'm going to try to... Slow down for you guys. <laughs> but I've got a lot on my heart, so I've got a lot to share this morning. Um, let's pray. I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this family. We thank you for this um, place, this location that we've been praying for for many years, Lord. Thank you that we have a well to dig. Um, we think we have a place that we can continue to um, pour into and receive from and draw from, Lord. I just thank you for the financial provision and breakthrough that Bethel is going to see this year uh, for our property and for our church. I thank you for all of the people here who have been impacted. I know there's people here who don't even go here. Thank you for those people too, Lord, that have come here because there's something that takes place in this place. Um, Thank you, Jesus, for the open hearts here today. I ask you that you soften our hearts, that you remove any boxes that we've put you in, that you open our minds to hear the truth, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. they asked me to share a little bit of update on the ministry front, and then I'm going to share a message. And it'll be kind of interweaving, but I felt like I'd like to give you an update. Um, in the past, I've spoken twice a year, but this year we had Michael Maiden here last time, which was a blessing for all the missionaries because we got prophetic words and ministry, and I love to just come and receive. So I'm actually going to be updating you for the past year instead of the last six months, but I'll try to go quickly, and then we'll go into the message. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Um, um, most of you know that Jennifer and I, some of some of you, is this your first, anybody the first time to be at Bethel Atlanta? Can you raise your hand? I'm not going to call you out. All right. All right. Welcome. The Lord told me the other day when I was praying that Bethel Atlanta is a family for those looking for family. So if you're looking for family and you're looking, and that's what the Lord told you or you feel like, there's, there's family here. And the Lord was just, I was praying for our leaders. And there's people here who are leaders that sit on the front and are serving right now. There's also people who have been here since the very beginning who you don't know who they are. And the Lord was telling me if they did not commit and stay planted at Beth Atlanta, it would not be the culture that empowers and sins that it is. So I want to honor the Hales. I want to honor the Stockmans and the Brownleys and, and the Hetlands and the people that have been here for so long. And there's people that have been here longer than, they've been for a long time that I'm not even mentioning. And I just want to say thank you because it's very difficult in a culture of empowerment to keep people here. Because people get empowered and they want to go. And there are people who said, you know what? I have opportunities to go, but the Lord's called me to stay and receive and develop identity and develop culture and to bring healing to people's hearts so they can be resent or they can be sent. So I just want to thank those of you that have made this a family, that have made this a home. You're, you're, you're in God's will because there's those of us that live elsewhere and we come back and we get to step back into family. But if you weren't here, we wouldn't have that. So I want to thank you as one of those that was sent. Okay? Okay. But by, 
so, gosh, in 2015, um, my wife Jennifer had been going to Bethel for a few years. We got married in 2014. I started going to Bethel, and um, I'm not going to get that story. If you want to hear our, like, testimony, go listen to BA Chats. I'm going to do a plug for the Kuntzes, BA Chats. Um, it's on our podcast network. You can go listen to testimonies from people here. We gave a testimony, I think, in January, and you can hear more about our backstory. That's not what I'm focused on now. But just to give you context, we were living in Atlanta. We've been married for a year. We knew we were called to the nations. I was, a, I was in my fifth year of practice of law, representing banks in a high-rise in midtown Atlanta. Um, my wife was teaching preschool in Grant Park, and the Lord had told both of us before we got married that you're going to go to the nations. You're going to be a missionary. I'd gone on trips to Cuba with Leif's ministry. I've been to Haiti. I've been to other places. But in those, in those times in Cuba and Haiti, the Lord told me this is going to be your life. And I'm sitting there as a second-year associate in a firm thinking, I've got $150,000 in debt. I've been preparing for eight years to be an attorney. Why is my life going to be missions? But the Lord has ways to, to make that happen if he tells it to you. So I, in four years, I paid off $160,000 in debt. And um, praise God, <laughs> we're debt-free. Please, if you want to go to the mission field, get out of debt. Do not go with that, that anchor. Don't go um, because it will hinder you in what you can do. And if some of you feel called to the nations and you're in debt, pay the debt down now so you can go because we need you out there. <laughs> and you want to go free. There's a lot of freedom that happens when you're free of debt. I think that's for someone today. Um, I'm going. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> You know, they asked me when I came, it's, it's going to be outside, are you okay with that? I'm like, we live in South Mexico, and I sent the temperature to, and I said, it's 105 right now. We're, all of our services are outside, so this actually feels really nice to me because I have shade. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we live in a very hot place. Um, but so 2014, um, my wife and I left our jobs, we went to Mozambique, uh, we went to Harvest School of Missions with Heidi Baker, most of you, if you're part of Bethel, you know who that is, if you haven't. Please just go check her out. She's amazing. Check out the ministry of uh, Heidi and Roland Baker, Baker if you haven't heard of them. I, I feel like you wouldn't be here if you didn't know who they were, but maybe you don't. And they're awesome people. I'm going to be saying a lot of names and books and stuff today and, and, all, and people from other streams and movements. Write them down and go check them out. Like you can draw a lot from other, other streams, other, other fathers and mothers, even that aren't in our own movement. And I, if you're a high learner or you just want to get, grow in hunger, go study the lives of these people and study their ministries. But anyways, Heidi Baker, we went there for three months. We lived in Mozambique for three months, my wife and I. Um, got very impacted by the ministry. You know, we came from Bethel, so we were already accustomed to the river, to the presence. But it was just another level there. There was a hunger there that we'd never seen before. There were people that were willing to just give up their lives to go live in the most dangerous places on earth because they want to be closer to God and they want to be where he was. And it was radical. And they were living in faith and they weren't raising support because they just felt like God called them. And it was just this radical faith and hunger that we saw. And there were 30 nations represented in our school, so it felt like we worshiped like we were in heaven because it was like different languages and, and styles of worship. But it was incredible. And after that, we, we knew that we felt called to Latin America, so we went to Mexico on a short-term mission trip with a ministry called Kaleo International. Now, at that time, Kaleo was, a, was an affiliate of IRIS, but it wasn't an IRIS ministry. Um, the, the leaders of the ministry were a young couple. They preached at the school ministry, Josh Muse and his wife, Olivia. They have preached at our Bassin before. But um, they, they had started this ministry, just four of them, at the border of Mexico and Texas. And um, now we have a, close to 30 missionaries all over uh, Mexico. We have some now in Honduras. We have next, we've just launched some missionaries into Spain. Um, we have, missionary, we have um, some churches and works in Texas. And, so, and we have churches all over um, close countries in the Middle East and the Horn of Africa and North Africa. So we have a, it's, an, it's a global movement. 
And when we came to the Mexico, and it was just two missionaries, we spent two weeks with them. And in two weeks in Mexico, in Jojutla, in Morelos, in South Mexico, a little town, a little pueblo, we saw more miracles than we saw the whole three months we were in Mozambique. And we were like, something's happening in Mexico. Like, and that wasn't why we went, but it was definitely God was doing something there, and we wanted to be part of it. And so we came back to Atlanta. We were here at Beth Atlanta for three months just kind of resting. In April of 2016, the Lord launched us to go to Jojutla, Mexico, which is in about two to three hours south of Mexico City. And there's people here who visited us. Who's been, to Me- who's been down to Morelos with us? All right. I-, I-, I think they can attest. You see God do a lot of things down there. It's incredible. And I can explain more about that as we, as we go. But um, that's just our background. We've now been down there three years. And our first year within two months, no, three months, my wife got pregnant with our first baby. And um, she gave birth down in Mexico. Amen. <laughs> with a midwife uh, in a clinic which is incredible. We had to drive an hour to get to the clinic for after she went into labor. So it was an experience. So my wife is an amazing, powerful woman. I, after I, I was, the, the nurse didn't show up, so it was the, the Mexican midwife and me delivering the baby. And after that experience, I have so much respect for all women, all mothers here. You, you are stronger than I'll ever be. So... Um, so we were, stay, we were there for a few years. We were the first missionaries besides Artur and Emily. Some of you know Artur and Emily. Artur is a Mexican. Emily is American. They've been down there for like seven or eight years. We came to join their ministry. They're amazing. They now do travel with John Arnott and Carol Arnott. And they're, they're the Lord's raising them up and influence as apostolic leaders in Mexico. But that's who we came to serve and, and, and serve with. And, um, and our team has grown. We now have a, a missionary from Slovakia. The Lord called him from Slovakia to Mexico. And he knows Spanish better than all of us. Um, the Europeans, they learn languages very quickly. Um, we have a missionary from Upper Room in Dallas. The Upper Room, Dallas, the, the, you probably know the worship. They sent this girl to be part of our ministry. She's helping start a house of prayer. So there's things that are happening at our base. Um, we, and then last year, we, had, we got pregnant again with Nora. And um, so we, in February of this year, February 26th, Jennifer gave birth to Nora Eden, our second baby. And so they're both Mexican citizens, and they're both American citizens because we are. And so we, ha- we, we carry a, diff- a level of authority there because we had children there. And that's what my message is about today is authority. So we'll talk more about that. Um, to give you an update on where we're at as a ministry, just people want to know because, hey, what's missions down there? We hear about all the miracles and testimonies, but there's a lot of uh, structure that's being put in place. We now have a missions base in Ciudad Juarez, which is across from El Paso, Texas. There's a lot of stuff going on there. We have a missions base in Nuevo Laredo, which is across from Laredo, Texas. We have a missions base in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, across from McAllen, Texas. And we've just planted two churches, one in Carretero, which is a large city, and one in Monterrey, which is a large city. And we, plant, we, we brought in a church in Mexico City. So we, and then in our base in Morelos, we now have, I think, up to six churches and a few plants. When we started, we had one church, and there were four of us. Now we have a large team in three years. So God is doing something. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and as we, since we joined... Kaleo, Kaleo actually became an Iris base. So if you're looking for the Iris base in Central America, it's Kaleo International in Mexico. We've kept the name for other reasons, but we are, they call it Kaleo Iris at some of the meetings and stuff. But we're Iris for all intents and purposes. But we're also, because we're Iris, our churches are part of the Catch the Fire Partners in Harvest Network. Because all the Mozambican churches are part of Partners in Harvest. So, that, so we're under kind of both those streams. And then we have Bethel missionaries like us that are part in the rivers flowing in Mexico. So it's very exciting what God is doing. Um, yeah, you can applaud. It's amazing. When you're on the mission field, it seems like it's going slow. But then when I look back in three years, what God has done, it's pretty incredible. Um, it's, but it's a slow work. I mean, it, it seems slow in the time, but it, 
Um, so we have a new, our base. We built it. We bought a base. Actually, the missions team that was with us in October um, with the Favas and the books, they, they helped us set the base up. We actually have a building now that's it's near it's 10 minutes from our house. We, we did our first Bible school there this past three months. Um, I taught probably every week. We had three-hour classes, um, three hours of teaching one night a week. We had about 20 students. We did it remotely, too, because we're trying to teach people the Word of God. We're getting all these new converts, but they need to learn the Word of God. It's, we love the presence, but you have to know the Word. You have to be grounded in the Word. I want to talk more about that in a little bit, but it's just really important. So sound biblical teaching. Um, we've been having nights of fire, which are our big nights of encounter. It's kind of like what we do here in the mornings, but you just kind of keep going as long as the Spirit's moving. So it could be two, three hours of flowing in the river. It's really fun. We've been doing those at our base. Um, as most of you know, my wife and I met doing a ministry called Nightlight. Do I have any Nightlight people here? I know there's some. I saw some. The Marie in the back. Yeah, I see some Nightlight people. It's an awesome ministry. It was an awesome ministry that um, would go to the streets of Atlanta and minister to the women every Friday night until 2 a.m. in prostitution, being sexually exploited in the strip clubs. Um, so we met, my wife and I met doing that with many people that are actually part of this church now. Um, and, that, and we did that for a year. And so we have this heart for women who are being exploited sexually, either in prostitution or in whatever way of exploitation. And so we started a ministry three years ago in our, I'll just say it's our zone of tolerance. It's a place where this type of behavior is legal. I've got to be careful with my words. But it's, it's, it's legal, and um, we have favor with the authorities, literally, I'm not going to say any more than that, but the authorities have given us permission to be there every two weeks and minister to the women. Um, there's about anywhere between 70 and 100 women on a Friday in a small town of about 20,000 people that are working in this way. We've been going there for three years with a favor of the authorities, and, we, and we've led a lot of women to Jesus. Some have left and, start, and gone and found other work. But that type of ministry is really, really slow. It's, if you want to work with women, I know that's the hot thing, is like human trafficking, exploitation. You better be ready to hunker down and spend a lot of time with people because you're building relationship, you're building trust, you're bringing healing to trauma, a lot of trauma. You're bringing all kinds of issues, healing all kinds of issues. So my wife, that's her, she's a very, she's trained in, under the covering of Bethel, Bethel Sozo, praise God. And we've learned how to do inner healing and bring, be patient and listen to women and bring healing to their wounds. So we've been there. I know some of the team have been with us to the red zone. It's pretty remarkable because it's literally a place where this type of stuff is legal and there's little rooms. And we come in and we, do, we preach the gospel and pray for people. And, and they allow us to do it, like for 30 minutes to an hour every two weeks. And um, we get to go around and visit the women individually and pray for them. We've seen healing miracles. We've had um, actually Paula, our new missionary, she's going to start doing English lessons with three sisters who work there. And so that's another doorway to reach them and to start bringing them in. So that ministry is doing amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been hard, but we've really seen favor, and God has been blessing us in that. Um, I, um, we, we, I started about two years ago. I ministered in the hospitals. Literally, when the earthquake happened in our town a few years ago, the bad earthquake in Mexico happened. Like, the epicenter was in our city, and half the city fell in. Um, we brought all these medical supplies from the United States because they lifted, like, the, the tariffs and everything at the border so that we could receive help. And so we sent, like, six trucks of stuff from Texas to Mexico, and we started bringing all these medical supplies to the hospitals. We're like, what do you want from us? What, what do you want? And I'm like, well, actually, we'd like to come and visit the hospital and pray for the sick. Can we do that? He said, whenever you want, I'll give you my permission. So we literally get to go into the hospital for three hours every week and pray for the sick in the beds. I mean, we ask them if they want permission, if they have their permission to pray. But we get to walk around and pray for these people, which is just favor of the Lord. And 
we started thinking, we're just going to see miracles. We're going to see people getting out of it. And we do see miracles. But we've learned more. It's more of a pastoral ministry. We're actually comforting and counseling these people who are a lot of times very poor. They're waiting for surgery for weeks in the heat. They're waiting for supplies to come in. And they just need someone to talk to. They need hope in some way. So, yes, we always pray for the miracles. And I'm going to share a couple of those miracles in a minute. But we also are there. We learned, like, we got to go slow and low, like Heidi, low and slow, like Heidi says. Sometimes you stay with one person for the whole two hours. And guess what? That person is deeply impacted, you know? And so we've been there going that for weeks. Our team is getting stronger. The nurses now will come and say, hey, that person wants prayer, which is awesome. The doctors know us, and they wave to us and let us pass. The guards joke with us. That's called favor, and God has given us great favor in the hospitals. Um, amen, right? I want to share, um, as you know, or maybe you read, the violence has increased in Mexico, uh, and at a level it's never been. Um, we are called by God, so we don't have any fear. We actually drive around and do whatever we need to do, and we don't have any issues. Um, a lot of the violence is in specific areas, but there has been an increase in gun violence in our, in our town. Like, you, you hear about gun, wound, gun victims almost daily, and we have a small town. So at the hospital, a lot of these people are gun wound victims. And so you come in, and they're like, I was shot yesterday, or I was shot a week ago, and it's crazy. So they're dealing with, you know, they just saw their life flash before their eyes. They've got all this trauma on their body. And so we've been leading a lot of these people to Jesus, which is awesome, because they're looking for something, you know, and they just almost died. And it's like, hey, guess what? We're here for a reason. We've got this person that, you know, he can take away that fear you're carrying. And it's really incredible. But I want to share a pretty remarkable testimony that happened maybe about three months ago, maybe two months ago. It was in March. Um, Mikal, who's our Slovakia missionary, and I were walking around. And it's funny when he and I go, because he's very light-skinned like I am, and people think we're Mormons, because, or Jehovah's Witnesses, because that's, that's the only white people that are really in our, in our like, light-skinned people that are in our town. So they're like, are you Mormons or, te- or uh, Testigos de Jehovah? Are you, are you um, Jehovah's Witnesses? We're like, no, we're Christians. But we always preface that, hey, we're, we're believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to pray for you. And we came up to this man and, the, and this woman, and you could tell they were probably married, and he was kind of sitting there very just disheveled. We said, what's going on here? And he said, well, I was just shot 16 times last night. And I said, or it was like two nights ago, and I was like, 16 times, he's like, yeah, and my, all through my organs, all through my knees, and my chest. And I'm like, praise God, you're still alive. <laughs> he's like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm like, yes, God protected you. And he's like, oh, and my son was with me. He's 18, and he's in, I, he's in like, a intensive care right now, and he was shot really badly. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is a horrific situation. What are we going to do? So we start sharing with him just testimonies and the goodness of God and how God protected him and hope and how God can physically heal him of all this because he was going to have that knee surgery and have organs repaired and all these things. So we pray for him. And as we're praying for his knees, he says he feels something moving. Now, that's not uncommon. I would say in Latin America, I'm sure that Leif could attest this in Cuba, uh, Latinos are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, very, very sensitive, and it's a gift they have. And so you pray for non-believers, and they... They fall over just in the streets and stuff. It's, it's incredible. They, they have, they're very sensitive to the spiritual realm, and it's awesome, at least in my experience, um, living in Mexico for three years. And so he starts, oh, yeah, something's moving. I'm like, okay, well, all right, we'll, we'll come back and see you, you know, in a few days and see how things are going. So we walk out, and we're about to leave, and the woman that was with him comes running up to her. She's like, hey, I'm so sorry. My pastors haven't come to visit me yet, but I need to tell you something. His son actually died that night. We haven't told him yet. And I'm like, oh, God. She's like, can you come tell him with us? And I'm like, um, surgery. So I'm, I mean, and so we pray with her. And she's like, honestly, I don't feel like telling him right now because he's about to have surgery. So I'm going to tell him after the surgery because he's already got so much going on. I'm like, okay, you don't want to lie to him, but also understand you're, we'll go with you whatever you want. And that's what the, she had decided. And so we come back two weeks later. 
and we walk in there and he's smiling, singing in his bed. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, oh, well, I went to the doctor to have my knee surgery and he looked at it with the x-ray and he said, you don't need knee surgery anymore. Your knee was healed from the gunshot wounds. Amen. He was gonna have to get a knee replacement. And then he said, and, and he's like up moving around. He's like, and all the wounds are now healed in my stomach. He went home like a few days later. He was only in there for a couple weeks after 16 gunshots. Amen. And they had told him after that about his son and he was able to grieve that. We prayed with him and stuff. But he was so joyful, this man, because he already believes in Jesus. I don't think he got the revelation that Jesus is a healer yet, but now he has that revelation. And he was so happy. He's like, I'm, and I, I can't even prophetic words. Like, you're going to be a testimony as an evangelist to people about what happened to you before the, we got the testimony. And so now he's this radical, you know, guy living. He's kind of living up in the mountains. And we're, McCall has stayed in touch with him. So God is doing miracles like that. Amen. And we didn't know it at the time. He said he felt something, but the pain was still there. So sometimes, guys, you pray for people, and you, they don't see anything happen. You don't know what happens the next day. This guy got healed. We just didn't know it at the time. So, and I was going to share another healing testimony along those lines. Because, as you know, most people that know me, even know me since my Atlanta days, I love praying for people for healing. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, when, I got, when I got brought into, like, the kind of charismatic movement, charismatic world, um, healing was something that jumped out at me as a spiritual gift that I was like, I... I would love to see God heal people. And I started earnestly desiring that spiritual gift and asking the Lord to use me that way and studying testimonies and going on trips with life to Cuba and, and going to Randy Clark events and things like that to get the impartation and to receive it. So I always have gone after healing. And um, I saw a drastic increase in anointing when I got to Mexico, as Jen and I both did. We saw a drastic increase in the areas of healing. And about a year ago, I prayed for, well, I was, with, I was at an event a few weeks ago, a team meeting with all our pastors and leaders. And this guy comes up to me, he's like, hey, and he looked familiar, but I didn't, really know how. I just knew, I mean, I probably prayed for him or something. And he said, can you um, come with me to pray for my uncle? And I was like, yeah, sure. Or, you know, I have a baby now. So my schedule's a little, I have a little different boundaries than I had previously. I think I sent some other missionaries to go with him. And he's like, well, you, you know, you prayed for me last year and I got healed. And I was like, what? I didn't know that. He's like, oh yeah, last year you prayed for me. I had gastritis, or, or gastritis, it's gastritis in Spanish. Gastritis, it's like an inflammation of the membrane around your stomach. A lot of people in Mexico have this. They also have this thing called colitis. It's very common in Mexico. He said, you prayed for me and I didn't feel anything. And a week later, I started losing weight and started being able to eat again. I went to my doctor and he said, I no longer have gastritis. And I was like, whoa, amen. And he's lost 20 pounds because of the healing. And I was like, man, I, didn't, I had no idea that testimony happened until a year later. So I want to say that as a word of encouragement to all of you. We want to see the miracle. We're going for it. Keep praying for people. You don't, I mean, yes, we want to see the miracle. I think Justin talked about this recently. We want to see the miracle. We go for the miracle every single time. But guess what? Sometimes it just manifests at different times, and that's okay. It's still God doing something supernaturally, okay? And so we always want to leave them with hope and encouragement. Like, hey, check it out tomorrow. Check it out the next day, because you don't know what's going to happen when I leave. Amen? Okay. Um, so that's, I kind of, that's an update sort of on the ministry. We're growing. We have great things happening. Uh, we've been, um, and I was going to make an announcement to all of you. We're actually moving within Mexico. Uh, we opened a base in Monterrey, Mexico, which is uh, one of the largest cities in Mexico. It's actually the business capital of Mexico. It's in the north, about two to three hours from the Mexican border. And we have a house church there that's got about 50 people now. And they've been asking for missionaries to go. And Jennifer and I have prayed. We sought the wisdom of our leadership and they decided they're going to send us this fall to go launch a pioneer work in Monterrey, Mexico. So we will be leaving Hula, <laughs> not our hearts, but we're leaving to go continue because that's what it's all about in the kingdom is, is sending, is raising up and sending, raising up and sending so we can multiply. And we've been there and, we, and we've learned, our, learned about the culture. We've learned about how to love the poor. We've learned the language. 
and now it's time to go. And so we're going to Monterrey, Mexico. We're really excited because the house church there is actually some friends of ours we met a few years ago at a John Arnott event. The, the guy, Josue Ayala, he actually went to two years at, at um, Bethel School of Ministry in Reading, and he's a Mexican, and there's not many internet, like Mexicans that can afford to go to Reading or to go to Harvest School, but his wife, Fernanda, actually did Harvest School as a Mexican, and there's only like 10 Mexicans who's ever gone to Harvest School. So it's really exciting because they're our friends that we get to go be partners with them in this, house, this church plant and, uh, and also start a missions base in Monterrey. And it's also a large city. And honestly, Jennifer and I come from Atlanta. We're city people. We, we've lived in a small town for three years, and the Lord's done a lot in us. But we're really excited, kind of like Sherry going to Nairobi. We were ready to go to the city. We're excited to be back in the city. So um, we're, we're, we're still going to be connected with our turret Emily and everybody and, um, and Hohula. Um, but we're going to keep going, the work going. So that's our big announcement. You'll see. Um, yeah. Woo! It's, it's honestly a little bittersweet. We've, we've formed so many relationships. I mean, our daughters were born in Morelos. Like, we had ba- we've had dedicated babies at our church down there. We've had, um, like, I mean, it's just we've sowed a lot of tears and just time into Morelos. <laughs> but it's going to be good. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I just have a lot of friends down there. And, sorry. We know the Lord's called us to this change in seasons, and we're going to stay connected down there. We know the Bethel um, Atlanta family has built a bond with our Morelos team, so we're going to continue to um, hopefully host teams down there with them. But it's just um, we're leaving, and um, we're really excited. Um, Jen's going to be able – there's already a team up there ready to to do inner healing. They're ready to do sozo ministry, which is very – inner healing is not a thing in Mexico. They've already got, I think, three women – who are ready to learn, who've been studying so's already, that Jen can come in and start leading them. And she's been praying for that for three years. Um, I'm going to be starting a Bible school. Um, we're going to be helping their church plant and just bringing. So God has got some amazing things. And we're going to live in a, near an international airport. So we can receive a lot more visitors. Um, so we're excited about that. So, yeah, so things are really good. Um, um, I, I, I know time is coming, but um, the baby, the baby dedications cut me down a little bit. You know, I've preached here a few times, and I know it's good. It's my baby. It was good. I just, um, are you okay? Are you okay? I think that some of you might have to go get your children a little bit, but I'm going to try to try to go. I just There's a word the Lord put on my heart a few weeks ago that I, was, I felt like I was supposed to share. And um, it's, I get, honestly, for those of you who have never been up here, it's, it's nerve-wracking because you're following, like, Rachel Kuntz, giving all these revelations about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the goodness of God, and, and the Stockmans are bringing all this revelation about healing and the, vo- the war in your voice, and you've got Lay, and you have all these people, and Steve and, and Lindy, and I'm like, and I know Blake's coming next week, and, you know, now he's, like, known everywhere, and every week, oh, you know Blake Healy, and I'm like, I'm going to be up there on that stage, and I'm like, I was talking to my mom, I'm like, what do I do? She's like, Michael, you have your story. You live in Mexico with your family. Share what you carry. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I say that to honor these people because I listen to all your podcasts and it, and it blesses me. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such good revelation. But it's like, we can't compare because we're different people. We all have different callings and different anointings. So what I'm bringing today is, is Michael Coots, okay? The missionary who lives in Mexico with his family. And, um, and it's something that I've, it's, I'm, I'm calling the message wielding your authority um, because one thing that I learned a lot in Mexico is about authority and the authority that you have but you don't realize you have, okay? Authority is a word we hear get thrown around a lot in the, in, the, in the kingdom culture, the revival culture, the charismatic culture. And the truth is you have authority because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he gave you that authority, all right? That's the truth. 
All of you know that, I think. Most of you know that. You have authority. You have authority over demons, over sickness, over disease. You have, you have all this authority, okay? And there's all these different types of authority. But um, sometimes we don't realize the authority we have. So we walk around kind of timid, like, well, I know I have authority here, but I don't, I'm not walking in this authority that I have. And I, I, I learned this in, in Mexico for three years, or over three years now, about authority. I, I wanted to do something a little fun in the beginning. I, I come from a more traditional church, uh, my mom's here, and she loves Holy Spirit. She's been uh, traveled all over to see Randy Clark and Bill Johnson now because I introduced her to Bethel. And so she's in a, still in a traditional church, that, and she's in the front row worshiping like Mary Lovell. She's just going for it. And she's here because of her hunger, because she loves God. And, um, but that's just happened in the last four years. And um, before that, we came from a church that loved the word, loved prayer, loved the body, but I didn't hear much about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to ask anybody here, are you, do you come from, I'm going to use the word traditional church. It could be a traditional denomination. It could be a more seeker-friendly church, but a church that's a little different than maybe what we do here. Could you raise your hand? That's your, that's your background. Maybe you were raised in that. That was your church growing up. Okay, that's about half the room. And I suspected that because I know a lot of people's testimonies here came from those types of churches. And something about the Holy Spirit drew you to Bethel. And it's awesome. And most people, and I think some here, though, come from the more Pentecostal tradition or charismatic or word of faith. You come from that, that, that stream that ha- does see miracles, did believe in miracles. So if anybody comes from more of the Pentecostal, uh, Church of God, Assembly of God, raise your hands, please. Okay, so about half, okay? And so I don't come from that. So when I came into the like, kind of river, which we call this flow, the charismatic flow, it was very new to me. So the concept of like demons being real was very new to me. The concept of uh, healing being real was very new to me. The concept of revelation from God and dreams and prophecy was very new to me. Even those words I'd never really heard used much in church. And then relationship with the Holy Spirit was something very new to me. Yes, I knew that you had the Holy, I knew the Holy Spirit came and sealed you in your heart and, and you studied the word and you grew in a relationship with the Lord. And that's very important. I'm gonna continue to talk about that in a minute. But I also didn't know this happened. I didn't know this was going on, you know? And I came from out of, I come out of a post you know, uh, an adult life where I was in the party scene. Some of you have told the testimony. I was drinking and partying in the Buckhead bars and, and just going wild. And then I encountered the presence of God and it changed everything. It changed my heart. And I realized this is so much better than what I had out there. I was looking for something out there, but I found it in here, okay? And the enemy was perverting it. He was, per- he was <laughs> the enemy was perverting it. He was trying to take something from me and twist it because he knew that I loved people. He knew that I loved like, fun and enjoy. And he said, oh, you, you can find that at the bars. That's for people. Or go there. But it was really, I was looking for a community of believers. I was looking for a family, a tribe like this. And, and the Lord began to work in me and change me. But I, I, most of you know, I'm not going to say the name of the church, but I was in a seeker sort of traditional church, even in Atlanta, as the Lord began to touch my heart. And as I began to grow in hunger. And this church is a very big church in Atlanta, and I've mentioned it before. And I learned the Bible. I started to learn about discipleship. I started to get free of addictions and different things. The Lord was free me from in a seeker church but there was something more that I wanted. And the Lord drew me to this place. And what I found, and I, I'm setting that stage because what I found, when I, and I'm, the authority that I'm gonna sort of talk about is gonna be with regard to sickness and demons. You don't hear that much up here, but that's something that I walk in. And so it's something I have authority in. And I wanna t- talk to you about that this morning, okay? And what I've seen is, if you come from the Pentecostal tradition, I love it. Bethel came out of the Assemblies of God, just so you know. We were, uh, Bethel Reading was in Assemblies of God Church for many years. So that's our roots. We honor it. But sometimes you can tend to over-spiritualize everything. 
And this is not knocking you. This, this is just the tradition. Some of you can admit that. It's like there's a demon behind everything. It's like that water just fell off because a demon knocked it off. You know, maybe it did, but, but that, that, that you, tend, you can tend to go in that way. Now, again, this is not a knock, but you can tend to do that. So what happens is people that come out of that, they're like, oh, I, that was so religious. Even though it was like spirit-filled, it was religious because you're just, there's like, well, that has to be a demon. That has to be this. And you're looking for demons behind every bush. And so, or you get kind of weird. And you start like, okay, I got to do some spiritual work, you know, warfare before I go out, get in my car to go for the morning. And look, I prayed every, before I used to go to Atlanta, I'd pray for 30 minutes to an hour every morning because I wanted to, but it wasn't because I was afraid of what was going to happen to me on the drive. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, but so, so what happens though is you have that and that's your tradition and it's amazing. You have like, I mean, you have a framework for the supernatural and prophecy and tongues and a lot of tongues and healing. And, um, and I love it. I, but, and so, but so, you get in a culture like this, which is kind of moving in the river, but we're not as focused on the demons. Demons come up and we get rid of them, you know? Um, but you, but they, sometimes what happens is those people swing all the way to the other side and they don't want to talk about demons at all. And it's like, well, you know, just change your mind and they'll be gone. I'm like, no, there's actually like still a casting out that has to happen. Like Jesus cast out demons. If you read the Bible and they didn't just come out meek and mild, they fell out screaming or they yelled from the church services. I mean, that, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. So I see it a lot in Mexico, that's why I'm talking to you. Um, and I, I don't, if I'm offending something, I'm really sorry, um, but I'm not because I'm just telling you what I experienced. Is that bad? Uh, nah. um, but I'm gonna say on the other end, if you don't come from a tradition like that, you don't even know about it. So you're like, oh, that's just that weird charismatic Pentecostal stuff. Like, it all paid for at the cross. Don't have to worry about it anymore. I got news for you. Christians can be demonized. It's biblical. Christians can be, they're, maybe they're not possessed fully by a demon, but they can be tormented. They can have nightmares. That's why there are Christians who are still have spirits of infirmity. That's why Christians still have nightmares and depression and things like that. A lot of times that's a spirit that's affecting you. And so what I'm trying to bring you is to have a medium where you say, yes, we have a framework. There are demons. Yes, they're not everywhere, okay? And he that in me is greater than he that is in the world. So when I walk somewhere, when I go somewhere, Jesus is in me. But there is sometimes, there is sometimes when you have to take authority over a demon and say, get out of here in Jesus' name, okay? And I, I'm telling you that because when I showed up in Mexico, and this is gonna be a funny story for you guys, um, I had been trained and I'd, I'd read all the pigs in the parlor, uh, Dark, Defeating Dark Angels by Chuck Craft, all these amazing books on deliverance, but I'd never really seen a deliverance or I didn't know about it. I'd read books and that's good. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom there, but I hadn't actually done it. My wife had done inner healing and sozo training for years and I'd been through sessions, but I'd never actually like, cast a demon on someone. And I have news for you if you do sozo. There's deliverance in sozo. The four doors is deliverance. You may not realize it, but it, that's from Pablo Batari, who was an evangelist, Argentina, during the Argentinian revival. And they were known for deliverance. They had tents of people that would, were getting delivered like this while, they, while the crusades were going on. And buses would pull up and people would start manifesting and they would get freed. So he's done thousands and thousands, probably at this point, hundreds of thousands of deliverances. And that's what the four doors comes from. So there is a deliverance component in Sozo. We just focus on it and we do it a little differently than maybe what your experience was. So I don't want you to get afraid when I say deliverance. I don't want you to get afraid when I say casting out demons, but this is part of knowing your authority, okay? Because like, so, I, so we, Jennifer and I get down to Mexico and they're like, do you know about deliverance? We're like, yeah, yeah, we've studied this. We've been in healing. We know about it. So we go to our first, our first day in Mexico. We're at a school of fire, which is like a school of ministry. And um, 
I'm sorry if you have to get your children. I'm talking about demons and stuff, but <laughs> sorry. Um, it's real. The spiritual realm's real, so it's better to expose them to it now. Um, um, so we get there, and it's in this place called Merida, which is South Mexico. It's the Mayan country. So imagine that. They were doing human sacrifices. There's a lot of stuff in the land, a lot of ancestry stuff. So we get there, and they're like, we're going to do generational, pray for generational curses today all over the room. What's that going to look like? Because, I, I mean, so we're, like, praying, and I look around, and all of a sudden people start vomiting all over the room. Not like we told them to. Just all of a sudden people start vomiting this red stuff everywhere around the room. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's new. Haven't seen that in church, especially on that, that scale. But they seem free afterwards. It's like, okay, that happens, I guess. And so I'm like, what's next? And then we do a day, and we're teaching them about deliverance, kind of like I'm talking about right now. And I'm like, what is that? Like, I don't, I don't have a framework for that. And so they start throwing up again. I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, this is very new to my understanding. And so then the last day, Friday, we do a big night of fire, which is like a big night encounter night. And so, oh yeah, these are all pastors and leaders, by the way. This was not, this, this, this was not the congregants. These were pastors and leaders who are throwing up. And yeah, so <laughs> everybody needs to be free. <laughs> and so the, the Friday, the Friday, um, they bring all their congregants and there's worship going on. We have um, uh, Carlos Rodriguez from uh, Catch the Fire Raleigh was down there preaching and we were just like having a great time. And this girl's in the middle going, ah, ah, ah. And I'm like, uh, is that the Holy Spirit? I have no idea what's going on. And Josh, our leader, comes up to me and Jen, fresh off, fresh from the United States and goes, hey, Michael and Jen, take her in the back and get the demons out. And we're like, in Spanish? He's like, you'll get, you got it. You know enough Spanish to do it. I was like, Use your authority. Okay. So we take her to, the, it's like a hotel. And it's like a little like, and hotel. You know what I'm talking about? Like an event space. And so in the back is the kitchen. So we take her to the kitchen that's connected. And so we, we sit her down and she's just uh, like manifesting like crazy. And I'm like, okay, I read in a book, you're supposed to like make eye contact with her. So I'm trying to make eye contact with her. <laughs> I was like, I read you're supposed to like silence the demons and bind them. And I'm trying to do it. And she's still getting louder. And I'm like, what am I doing? And see, I wasn't operating in authorities. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know I had authority, so I was just kind of testing things out, hoping it would stick, you know, throwing spaghetti against the wall. And there are spiritual principles that will work, but you have to know that you have that authority in order to wield it, okay? The funny thing happens is we're doing this for like 30 minutes, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the other door. I realize, oh, we're connected to another event space. And I look in, and there's a PowerPoint, and it's a bunch of doctors. They're like, are you okay in there? Are you okay in there? And I was like, oh, yeah, we, a sister from the church is upset, you know? And so people, and then there's like all this stuff going on. And then it's pastora, a, uh, that's what we call the, the pastor's wives, the female pastors from the, our local church there, comes in, is like, bam, 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 the demon leaves and the girl's free. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> I read all the books. I've been in Bethel for years. I know my identity. I know my authority, but I'd never done it. And so that's sometimes authority comes with experience. Sometimes it's a process. And see, I'm a millennial. So I'm going to say this about the millennials. Sometimes we don't want to wait for things. We want it now. Life, give me the impartation. I'm going to go. And that's great. We believe in impartation. But there's sometimes there's a walking out of it. Right? So go for the impartation, but then you got to keep moving, you know. Keep carrying it. And that's one of the things I learned. Um, and what I've, I've found, this is a good statement I heard someone say. Um, I think it was this guy named Ken Fish who was with the Vineyard. It was with the Vineyard for many years with um, uh, John Wimber. He says, the demons know when you know or don't know you have authority. See, you have the authority, but they know when you don't know you have the authority. 
And so that's why they can lie to you. And that's why they can come and torment you and stuff because you're not rocking in that authority. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm just gonna flip a switch. I'm gonna go to a conference and I'm gonna be walking in authority. And you can't do that. You have to learn to wield it through intimacy and obedience in the secret place. I'm telling you, I spent so much time on my knees praying and Lord, use me, show me how to do this. Show me the keys. You need intimacy with the Holy Spirit because I can give you models for deliverance, but if you have no relationship with the Holy Spirit, nothing's gonna happen. I mean, you, there's good to have models, trust me. Like, you'll get, that's how you get things going. Like the five-step prayer model with Randy Clark. It's amazing. A lot of us here started our prayer ministry, healing ministry, because of Randy Clark's five-point prayer model, which comes from John Wimber in the vineyard. Um, and then and Pablo Batari's 10 Steps to Deliverance. It's an amazing model to learn how to do deliverance, but you still gotta like have a relationship with the Holy Spirit to be listening. Okay, what am I dealing with here? Okay, what am I supposed to do now? Okay, and that's the intimacy. And I want to, everyone, but I'm a, it's for most last week, so I'm going to use a movie, or it's a book quote, okay? Is that, that's okay with you guys. It's more from the, I think it's for everyone, but I'm a, it's for, more for the guys. And it comes from Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. And, and Gandalf, and it's not in the movie, but it's in the book. And um, Gandalf is talking about this, um, the ring. And he says, and they're like, why don't we just use it against the enemy? We have it. Why can't we use it to go take it down? He says, Gandalf says, oh, sorry. Oh. Also, we cannot learn to wield the full power in one day. We cannot learn to wield the full power of this ring in one day. And that's the same with your authority in Christ. You can know it, but you still have to learn how to wield it. You learn, okay, that didn't work, that didn't work. Um, Lord, I, where were you on that one, you know? And, and, and it's this relationship that you have. And um, as most, I mean, some of you know this, the word authority is the word exousia in Greek. And it's like, a, it's like um, delegated authority, okay? And most people here know that it's, it's kind of like the badge a police officer has. You know, a police officer has that badge that says, hey, you have a right to use a gun. You have a right to arrest people. You have a right to stop traffic. Now, there's nothing powerful about the badge. Like, you can throw it at somebody, I guess, but it's not a weapon itself. But because the badge represents a delegated authority, it can move things. It can cause things to stop. It can cause people to slow down, okay? And then the dunamis power, and you've probably heard this, is like what they say is where the word dynamite comes from. Uh, that's like the gun. That's like the, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the casting out of demons. You need the authority in order to use the power. Now, there are people out there that are using the power illegally, you know, like witches and fortune tellers and stuff like that, but they don't have the authority. That's why it's not from God. Does that make sense? So we have this authority delegated from the Father to us to, to, to carry out and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's our mandate, and he's given us the authority to do that. That's to cast out demons. That's to heal the sick. Okay, you following me? Am I? Okay. Um, I want to give you, um, I, I wrote down a few points. Okay, this is probably a message that could go for a really long time, so I'm going to try to give you a few points of my, my understanding of um, a representation of, from Jesus of how we can grow in authority or how we, because, see, Jesus had the authority of the Father. The Father said, you're my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. But he also learned how to wield that authority while he was being tempted for 40 days. Do you remember that story? We're going to Luke 4. Now, Jesus, as, as most of you know, he lived 30 years um, on the earth. He knew his identity because he said it when he was 12 that he was about his father's business. So I'm pretty sure his mom or he knew that he was the son of God, fully son of God, 
but he was not operating in miracles or in power until he was 30 years old when he received the Holy Spirit that came upon him. And we see that in Acts chapter 3. Um, and it, it, the Holy Spirit comes down over the Father in Acts chapter 3, excuse me, Luke chapter 3, verse um, 21. And, and Jesus goes for the baptism, which he didn't need because he had no sin, but he was being pre pre prepared like a sacrifice for to be a la sacrificed lamb. And he's being a represent representation to us. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to move because the kids are... Um, now when all, it's just 321, Luke 321. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So in that moment, he received his baptism of fire, his baptism of the spirit, his baptism of love, his baptism of affirmation, and, the, and, and he was empowered. And from that moment on, we begin to see miracles happen. But it says, that if you go fast forward the genealogy, to four, it says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. So I know most of you know that, but you see, he was full of the Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit, okay? He had the authority. He was being, but then the Holy Spirit led him into a place of, of testing, okay? And some of us don't like the desert because we're like, oh, this is the worst place in the world, but sometimes you're there because the Lord is purifying and preparing something in your heart. And like, you still have the Holy Spirit, you're still full of the Holy Spirit, but it's just tough. And we've lived for three years in a small town and raised two kids. It is tough. It is hard. It is lonely. And, but the Lord's been, we look at back now, three years later, like, man, the Lord was working stuff out of us. He was preparing stuff in us, okay? So embrace that season. Like, yeah, we want to get through it, but the Lord's going to do amazing things in that. And sometimes you're there because the Holy Spirit led you to be there, okay? So be looking for God in that. And we're going to continue, okay? Um, oh, it said he was fasting for 40 days. Okay, Jesus, it's a big con called kenosis. It's a Greek word. There's another word called uh, hypostatic union. I'm not going to talk about that. It's a big controversial thing, but it's, Jesus was fully God and fully man all the time, all right? But it says in Philippians that he essentially laid, a, Philippians 2, it says that he laid aside some of his divine attributes um, to come down and be a human. Do you understand that? It's in Philippians 2, 4, I think. I, I can't, I'm, not, I'm trying to go quick. So Jesus was always God, but he was not operating with all the attributes of God on the first, first 30 years of his ministry. Does that make sense? Okay, if you get confused, I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards. I don't want to say, ever say that Jesus was not God. He was always fully God. But he laid aside in his humility as a servant some of his divine attributes. That's why he was hungry. That's why he needed to be ministered by angels. Okay, if he was God, why would he need those things? You know, if he, was, if he had all those attributes, he wouldn't need those things. Okay, so he was always fully God. And then he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he was able to do miracles, just like you guys. You guys are sealed with the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian here today. And then you receive the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you to do minister to others. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Amen. Okay, I'm still going. Um, so Jesus, he goes out into the desert. He's hungry. He's fasting. Again, something we don't talk about much here is fasting. Guess what? Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's a good thing to do. If you come from the Pentecostal tradition, sometimes you're like, and you're trying to get out of that, you're like, oh, that was, you're just trying to get things with it. No, that can, be, that can be abused. But fasting is a beautiful gift that God gave us to sensitize our spirit to his spirit. To humble ourselves, say, you know what? I'm gonna depend on him, not on food. Most of the missionaries that live on the field that I know live a lifestyle of fasting. Now, they're not bragging about it because it's something between you and the Lord. But it's, if you're looking for some oomph and you're trying to like get going, go on an extended fast or just start a lifestyle of fasting. This is how you grow in authority because you're saying, you know what? Food doesn't even have a hold on me anymore. You know, I'm dependent on Jesus. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm fasting, I start to feel those hunger pains and the headaches and stuff. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus. And you just start turning your infections to him, okay? 
Um, it's part of the spiritual disciplines. Now, I'm not saying just go out and do fast because it, it's a religious routine. That's not good. Be led by the Holy Spirit. But if you feel conviction about it, start doing it. Just try it. Try like two meals. Try like one day. Try like one day a week or try like three days in a row. You know, start small so you don't discourage yourself. But just because some people try doing a 10-day fast and they fail after a day and they're all depressed. But it, you can grow. This is, how, this is like part of growing in authority and putting your dependence on the Lord. Okay, I'm going to continue with Luke 4. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm going over. Um, for, and two, he says, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Okay, there it is. He was hungry. Um, fully God, fully man, but with some of the attributes of a man. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So right there, Satan's challenging his identity. If you're the son of God, or since you're the son of God, you should be able to do this. Okay. If we want, that's the first thing for your authority is your identity. Now, we're an identity culture. We're sons of God. We're royal priesthood. We're sons, you know, that's what Bethel carries. And it's important. You need to understand your identity in Christ, the first and foremost. If you don't understand that, go get that right first before you go out and start trying to, like, cast out demons and stuff. Because the enemy will come in and try to, try, I mean, they don't will come in and try to convince you of otherwise. Does that make sense? Like, understand your relationship with the Lord. Um, identity, the enemy, like Blake was talking about this a few weeks ago, the enemy will give you small little lies if you are the son of God. He was not lying, but it was a little twist of the truth. If you are the son of God, do this. And he takes scripture out of context. Perform a magic trick for us, okay? Jesus was only did what he saw the Father doing. In that moment, the Father was not turning stones into bread. Later on, the Father turned 12 loaves of fishes and fish to to 5,000 or 10,000 or however many, you know, people. Jesus did multiply food, but that's what the Father was doing in that moment, okay? So you got to know your identity. You got to understand your relationship. And um, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go to, um, oh, well, okay. So when you know your sonship, the enemy, what he'll try to do, though, is he's going to try to intimidate you. I've prayed for people that have done like claws at me, they've growled at me, they've tried to bite me. One guy tried to grab a knife. Um, and it's the demon. It's not the person, okay? It's the enemy embarrassing this person. It's the enemy trying to create fear in you. When you know your identity, you're like, nah, I'm a son of the living God. Stop, okay? But that stuff happens, okay? I'm not trying to be sensational here. This stuff does happen because the enemy's mean and he's bad and he wants to embarrass people and he wants to create fear in you. So if that stuff happens... You have to acknowledge, okay, this might be a demon. And you know what? You got to stop that in Jesus' name, okay? Paolo Batari says, you shall submit to the name of Jesus or you must submit to the name of Jesus. And you, that's the truth. That's the word of God. You declare that to the demon until he submits. And I've done it in English with Spanish speakers and the demons have submitted, okay? And um, I remember one time we were in this meeting and the glory came. And sometimes when the glory comes, the critters come up, I said, the Southerners say, that the bad stuff comes up. And this guy started on the front row. And I walked up to him, put my hand on his back. I said, in Jesus' name, stop. Stop embarrassing him in Jesus' name. Stop. Then I was able to do more further, deeper ministry with him. But that stuff happens. It's real. But you have identity as a son. Um, second, um, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said, to you I will give this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be, all be yours. Okay, um, you need to be operating out of, a place of pride, uh, out of a place of love and humility, because the enemy, when you start to move in power, the enemy is going to try to blow your mind, like your head up. He's going to try to say, look at you. 
Oh, you see you cast that demon out. Oh, that demon was so bad and you got it out. Oh, look at that healing you had. You've got to have, know your identity as a son. Know that you're only operating because the Holy Spirit is in you. And you also have to be operating out of a place of love for the people around you. My example for that is I just didn't realize I was going to start crying talking about Morelos. I love Morelos. I love Mexico. I started crying because I have love for Mexico. Guess what? I have authority in Mexico. All right? If you want to have authority, you need to have, love the place. Sean Bowles says you'll never have authority over what you do not love. If you want authority in Atlanta, love Atlanta. If you want authority with Muslims, love Muslims. If you want authority with the urban communities, love the urban communities. Okay? And that doesn't mean just like from, so that means sometimes go visit, go prayer walk. That means get on your knees and pray for those people. If you have people that you're having a hard time to love right now, guess what? Pray for them. I'm telling you, I haven't been in America for a while, but I'll come back and there's a lot of people I'm praying for in America right now. I'm not gonna say any more than that, but I'm praying for those people to understand their hearts and what they're thinking, okay? And instead of judging them and their motives, I should start asking the Lord, what do you say about these people? What do you say about this situation? What is your heart? And getting a heart for them, because then your heart's gonna be grieved because you realize that they're confused. They have no idea what their identity is. They don't know Jesus. Okay, I think you understand what I'm talking about. Um, one time, um, this is a cool story. I have a friend named Brad. He's a pastor in uh, Prince Edward Island, Canada. He's a Catch the Fire pastor, Big Mountie. He's a huge, some of the guys met him when he was with us in uh, Morel, uh, Heidi Baker a few years ago. He's a big guy. The Mounties in Canada are kind of like the FBI. We think of them as these guys that ride horses, but they're kind of like the, the intelligence agency of Canada. And he's this big man. And we're at this event um, down in the Yucatan Peninsula, and we're trying to, like, get this demon out of this guy because it's moving all over his body. You can see it moving through his body. And we're, like, doing everything we can. I'm like, okay, renounce this. Okay, repent for this. Okay, everything, and nothing's happening. So Brad looks at me, and he goes, sometimes it's just the love of God that gets it out. And he grabs the guy and gives him a bear hug, and the guy starts throwing up, and the demon leaves. There was no, like, five steps. It was just the love of God that pushed the demon out. Amen? Sometimes it's the love of God. Sometimes truly the love that's in you as you begin to love people, stuff starts to manifest and leave because it's so pure and it's so holy and it's so righteous that the, bad, the demons can't even be around it. Have you ever heard, I've heard in some of our ministry, especially when we did Nightlight, people are like, I can't really look at you. You're, you're bright. I can't, I, I don't, it's because of the purity. They're living in so much immorality that they're like, the purity is, a, it's like blinding. That's authority. That's authority you carry. Develop, get compassion. Um, because you love the person, you don't want them to get embarrassed. That's compassion. You don't want them to be tormented. You want the demon out. <laughs> you want them healed. You love them. You love them. You love them. You affirm them. You love the person first, and you don't. Sometimes we want to treat the person like the demon. So it's like, ah, you. Da, da. It's the demon that's possessing or affecting this person, and we got to love the. If, um, Emily from our team. One time, she was, there's a woman that was manifesting at the back of a row, just ah, a lady I knew from the church who'd been in the church for a long time. And she was making all this noise and screaming and stuff. And um, Emily walked up to her and said, look me in the eyes. And when the woman, and, and she, had to take a, she had to use her own will to open her eyes and look. She did, and she looked. And all of a sudden, the manifestation stopped. And I was like, what's going on? And later, I asked the lady, she goes, oh, when Emily came up and started praying for me, I saw Jesus in her eyes. And all the manifestations stopped. Okay, and then you have to go through and clean out the, the trauma. And the, the, I mean, sometimes, and, and this is a little tip for you guys. Sometimes it's just the person's trauma, has trauma in their body, and it's not actually a demon. 
you don't want to cast out someone from themselves. So you've got to be very, asking the Holy Spirit, is this trauma that's embedded in their body or is it a demon that's embedded in the trauma? See what I'm saying? Um, those of us that work in trafficking understand this with multiples and people that have different fragmented parts of their souls. I'm not going to go into that now, but it's literally parts of their souls that have been fragmented from abuse and trauma and things like that. It happens a lot. I mean, I had, a, I had it happen from a, a pain of my childhood um, that I had to bring back, integrate that part of me, you know? Um, and it's, it's, no, it's not, I'm not saying that it's, it's, it happens because um, God created this amazing soul of ours that can separate and take pain so you can continue to live. But the point is that you're supposed to bring healing back so that part can come back to you, okay? But sometimes it's that part is you think it's a demon. It's really the person. And you're like, get out, get out, get out. And you're actually traumatizing them more because it's the part of the person. So that's why you need a relationship with Jesus. You need a relationship with the Holy Spirit to know, is this them? Is this the demon, okay? That's just a little ministry tip 101. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I would like to continue to go. Um, I'm just gonna hit these last points. Most of you know this story. Please keep reading Luke 4 if you wanna see the rest. Um, the, enemy, the enemy came to Jesus and he tried to say, look, I'm gonna give you all this authority now. And he did, the enemy could say that because the enemy had been given authority by Adam in the garden. And he was saying, oh yeah, you want my authority? You can have it. But he wanted Jesus to do it before his time. And he wanted Jesus to be like a ruler that would come in and be glorified like, like the, the Roman or like the, um, the, the Jewish people thought was gonna happen. And it's not what the father had in mind. It's not what the prophecies had in mind. Jesus was gonna go live for three years and then suffer on a cross, okay? So he couldn't bypass the process of what, and, the, and the calling. Um, and then the, the last one is he's basically saying like, throw yourself down from this pinnacle and the angels will protect you. Okay, well, that was also taking scripture out of context because he refers to a scripture in the Old Testament, but he's saying danger that would befall you, not yourself jumping into danger. Does that make sense? Like he wanted Jesus to perform a, a magic trick by causing like, harm to himself and then the father would come into the rescue. Okay, so you've got to be always watching what the father is doing. Um, and that's why you, the last one, one of the ones I was gonna say is intimacy with the father. It's very important. We're a church, we love intimacy, we talk about it. Intimacy is time alone with God. Intimacy is your thoughts and your tensions on God. It's like getting up 30 minutes early, even when you don't want to, even when you have two small children. I, I'm working on this one, to spend time with the father, to see what he's doing, to see what he says about you, to see what he says. That's intimacy. I think Heidi says, an, um, uh, oil costs something. It does. Oil costs something. The oil of intimacy costs something. You have to sacrifice. And every season looks different. I know Jen Stockman was in a different season when she was writing her books, so she was getting up at 4 a.m. Intimacy costs something. Okay? That's intimate. That's, that's, it costs something for her. She doesn't always probably get up at 4 a.m., I don't think. Or, or 5 a.m. I don't remember. I, read, I heard your testimony. But she was doing something that cost something and was having amazing times with the Lord. Okay? Sometimes you say no to other things and say yes to the Lord. Okay? Um, Oh, the last one is something that's been on my heart. We've got to know the word of God. If you want to grow in authority, know the word of God. I'm a millennial again, but I'm looking at my generation. I'm seeing a lot of people that love this presence and aren't reading their Bibles. Come on, guys. Like, if we want to grow in relationship with the Lord, you have to know the word. I know people have been hurt by the church and don't want to be religious. Guess what? Reading your Bible is not religious unless you make it religious. Okay, if you think you're going to get something from reading, that's religion. You're going to get to know the father and the author. That's called intimacy. It's called discipline. It's called, um, yeah. I heard Daniel Clinda say this recently. Daniel Clinda is the guy that took over for Ron Arbonke in Africa. I think Daniel is probably like 40 and he's led like 20 million people to Christ. He's like, and he's, so he's all about miracles. He said, we cannot afford to produce a bunch of people that can prophesy and speak in tongues, but they don't know how to find Ephesians in the Bible. Yeah. Boom. 
<laughs> like, uh, the attack on our movement is we don't know the word. And I don't think that's a fair attack because I know a lot of people here that know the word really well. But we don't want to start to become like that, okay? Know the word. Jesus, as a good son, knew the word. He was able to respond to the attacks and the lies of the enemy with the truth. Oh, that's not what he meant. This is what he meant. We need to be able to say the same. If you want to grow in authority, know the word of God. You start to learn, okay, what you think God told you, uh-uh. that doesn't line up with the Bible. I know you feel that way. That's not what God says about you. You're going to see this more in America. I've heard it from people that are prophetic people. Oh, well, God told me this is fine. Uh, that, that doesn't line up with, at all with the Bible. So that's not God. You're listening to someone, but you need to get in your word and see that doesn't line up with what he says and he's already said. Yeah. If you want to grow in discernment, read your Bible. Because you can learn what's God and what isn't. Okay? I can promise you that, like, most of these gifts, they come with practice. Like Michael Maiden says, they come with workout. You want to grow in words of knowledge, start giving words of knowledge. You want to heal the sick, go with Leif and GMA to a missions trip. Or go with Randy Clark to a mission trip. Or come here and, and convince the Hales to start the healing rooms again. And start praying for the sick every... I was part of the healing rooms my first year at Bethel Atlanta. And we saw some miracles. And you know what? We didn't always see miracles, but we were going for healing. We were going for healing, you know? Because we said, yes, we believe God wants to heal. And we started stewarding that gift. We started stewarding that hunger. And we're seeing the fruit of it now as people are getting healed just in meetings. Okay? Um, sorry. So knowledge of the word. That's, it's not a rebuke. It's just like, come on, guys. Fathers and mothers, let's encourage our spiritual sons and daughters to be in the word. When you hear that, they're like, oh, I just love the presence. And, you know, I don't want to be religious. It's all grace, man. It's like, okay, great. I'm glad you've acknowledged that we're on our grace. But get, read your Bible. <laughs> I mean... Like, we have authority as mothers and fathers to do this and speak to a generation. So I want to encourage you guys, to, as, as, we, as we grow in authority, um, intimacy, identity, compassion and love, knowledge of the word of God, obedience. That's an important one. Jesus was obedient to the Father. Sometimes in my generation, we don't like that word obedience. We're like, oh, oh, I was hurt by, 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 by leadership. Come on, guys. If you want to grow in authority, submit to a leader that's under authority. Guess what? Your authority is going to grow. Submission doesn't mean you just, you just say yes to every little thing you have to do, but it's, you're coming under where that person carries and you're honoring their position, okay? <sighs> yeah. I felt like I was supposed to share that this morning. I'm sorry if it, was, if it came across as, yeah. <laughs> the, I'm, not, I'm not speaking as the leadership of Bethel and I'm speaking as Michael Coots a member and a son of the house who's a missionary in Mexico, okay? I've got some words of knowledge for healing. Um, if, is that okay if we call it some words? Do you want to invite the ministry team up? Sorry. I just feel like God, did anybody, last time that I preached, I wasn't even calling out words of knowledge. People started getting healed during the service. So does anybody that came in with a sickness want to check their body and see if there's any kind of dim, dim, diminished, Diminution. Uh, their pain is decreased at all. <laughs> like it could be uh, just a checking. Because I know in this presence, in this atmosphere, God is bringing healing. If not, that's okay. Um, uh, I have a couple words, Justin, is that all right if I, if I call them out? I feel like there's someone here, um, and this is, I, I, I walked in the room and I just felt this. You're at a point where you've lost the willingness to fight. It's like an apathy. It's like, you know what? I've been dealing with this for so long and I just don't even want to fight it anymore. And you don't have to respond to that publicly if you don't want. 
Um, you can come find me afterwards. But I want to fight with you. Pray with you. I know there's people here that would love to fight with you. They would like to inject hope. They would like to inject faith. And would like to pray with you and contend. Because sometimes when you don't have that strength, you need to pull on the body. Because we, we carry it for you. Okay. Um, the second one, someone that maybe has pain in the right sinus. It's like, it's like along the cheekbone right here. I don't know if it's a pressure or pain. Does anybody have that? Um, the right cheek right here along. Does anybody have that? I felt it when I walked in. What I'm doing is I'm calling out words of knowledge. Their Lord's saying, I want to heal these people right now. Um, so it's your, I'm, I'm stepping out in faith and for the potential of looking like I don't, I'm not hearing God. And you have to respond and say, oh yeah, that's me. I have that. Does anybody have that? Okay. Usually what happens, and life probably knows this, they come up afterwards and they want to line up and get the prayer, but it's okay. Um, oh, that right here? Okay. <laughs> we'll pray for you. Um, uh, someone with pain right here on the right lower wrist, it may be carpal tunnel, it may be tendinitis. Um, over here? Okay. There's a few. All right. I felt it on this side right here. Um, and then uh, someone that's actually had a pain in your right ear. It's like, Okay, we have two right here. Okay. And that's all I've got. Justin, you got anything? Good. It's good. So we're going to pray for all of you guys. So if you could. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.